and welcome back. This is episode number eight of the Bricks and Mortar podcast. The Bricks and Mortar podcast, well, that's a podcast about property for anybody interested in property. If you've got an interest in property, if you're buying, selling, renting or investing in property, then we'll have something that floats your boat, lights your candle in the next 30 minutes or so. This week's show, well, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the calendar. That's the um, calendar that I think that we use from uh, January through to December and how we track the ups and downs of the market. So it'll give you a good insight into when you should be buying and when you should be selling. We'll talk a wee bit about negotiating. That's going to be the bulk of today's show. I'll talk a wee bit about a book that... I was going to say it saved my life. Um, Maybe that's a wee bit too strong, but certainly as far as email is concerned, it changed the way that I think about email. And um, the book is called Getting Things Done by David Allen. And uh, it's a book that I wholly recommend. I'll talk a wee bit more about that. And then we're back on the myth busting and we're going to bust the myth of does noting an interest, does that actually mean you get a right an inalienable right to make an offer at a closing date. So that's what we're going to do. Just tell you a wee bit about what we've been doing this week at work. We managed to uh, get a success as far as a closing date is concerned. Um, getting a success at a closing date in Glasgow these days is uh, a bit like finding hen's teeth. Um, we... Uh, Put an offer in and were successful. Um, there was a fair amount of a frenzy uh, over the property. We had five uh, notes of interest and we were lucky enough to win it and we didn't win it by too much. So nothing better than winning a, a closing date and you know that you haven't paid over the odds as far as buying the property at that particular time. We also were successful in negotiating a property and and I guess the fact that we were successful in the closing date and the negotiating of the property has given rise to this podcast and talking uh, in greater detail about negotiating and the tactics that we use when we are negotiating a price. Um, On a personal note, we were down at Macrahanish over the weekend, uh, ran the Mull of Kintyre Half Marathon, as I thought, it ended up in a bit of a suffer fest. I'll tell you a bit more about that at the end of the show. Suffice to say that a 1 hour 42 marathon is not a PB and I pretty much crawled over the line, uh, thoroughly disgusted with my performance. But uh, running is one of these things that it is so raw that if you don't do the training, then you can't expect to run a half decent half marathon. And that's uh, so it proved. So we're going to get on. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the yearly calendar. There's not many times when I'm taking instructions and, and speaking to a client about either a mortgage or a or doing the legals for the client where we don't actually talk about the calendar. Uh, and what I mean by this is explaining to the client when the best time to buy and sell property is. So let's start in, in, uh, in January and we'll go through to December and talk a wee bit more and in depth about my feelings as to where the market is 
So we start off at January and generally what happens in January is that there is um, a, a fair amount of interest in uh, in the market and that's really based upon the fact that a lot of sellers suddenly realise they meant to have sold their property last year and they uh, try and make sure that they get the, their property on the market as quickly as possible at the beginning of January. Certainly what I found in January is that whilst there tends to be uh, quite a bit on the market, the quality is, is pretty poor um, and you've got to be very careful that um, if you do get caught in a closing date in a blind bidding situation that you don't pay over the odds. Uh, there's many a time where um, we've been acting for clients over the years and we've been pulled on to a closing date and uh, really unless the property has got a really good home report my view certainly in the early months of the year is to tread very carefully uh, because uh, if it's been on the market for a little while, there is probably something that is uh, raising alarm bells or should raise alarm bells with clients, uh, whether that's to do with the location or the property. Um, there, there always tends to be some issue uh, and that issue may not uh, come to the fore until we've actually been successful or had a look at the, the title deed. So I'd certainly tread very carefully. So there's a bit of a blip as far as um, interest uh, early on in the year. Um, that tends to subside fairly quickly after February and it dribbles back down to a pretty low amount of properties on the market. And then we start hitting, uh, start hitting March rather and everything seems to wake up with the spring and we're bang smack into selling season. And that selling season will last probably from March to its height in, in April, May. The time between the two, certainly my experience tells me that the, 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 the month between the two May day holidays is really a feeding frenzy where a lot of estate agents are trying to get as many properties on the market and uh, hope that they can force a closing date for their clients. So that goes on until May, June, and then what tends to happen is that round about the end of school term time, which is anywhere now between the end of, probably the end of June, I suppose, 24th through to the end of June, there is a falling off uh, as far as the, the edge of a cliff is concerned. And the main reason being is that most people are interested in going on holiday. And so I think if you're a buyer, not a bad time to be looking at the market is the beginning of June and trying to pick something up in the first week of July or August. Certainly the amount of interest certainly wanes during the summer holidays. So everybody comes back off the summer holidays and back into school roundabout. Uh, August time and what tends to happen is that the market then picks up and probably picks up until the schools go off for the October break uh, and I've always put that down to people coming off holiday being then under pressure to get their sons or daughters uh, a gig in a place at university and there's a sharp focusing given the fact that they're so now 
little accommodation available from the universities, given the fact that most of the universities have sold off a lot of their student accommodation and certainly aren't building more student accommodation. Certainly there's, there's private student accommodation, but I think that is generally attracting the foreign student market. Certainly in Glasgow, there's not maybe a month that goes by without another private student halls of residence going up. Um, if you, you live anywhere around... Um, the Ferry Road district in uh, in the West End, uh, which is down by, if you're as old as me, you'll remember the nightclub called Volcano. There's a huge raft of brand new student accommodation that is going up. I think the the ground was previously earmarked for a Tesco, uh, but they never got planning permission and the owners must have sold it for private uh, rental accommodation. So that whole area round about uh, just below the sick kids is, is just inundated now with student accommodation. So once we get into the October break, what then tends to happen is that uh, everything again dies a death and it pretty much dribbles down, the market dribbles down until the end of the year. So if you're a seller, then yes, your buying seasons are those that month uh, between the two May holidays and certainly if you're buying I would probably look uh, to between um, October through to December and also uh, there's a bit of a window there at the height of the summer holidays. We've talked in previous episodes about myths and this myth that I want to bust is the myth that a lot of clients think that there's some sort of guarantee that is given that if you note an interest on a property, then there's a guarantee that if it does go to a closing date, then you'll be given an opportunity to make an offer. Now, if it does go to a closing date, then you will be given an offer, an opportunity rather, to uh, put an offer in. The difficulty is that there's no guarantee that a closing date will ever be called. Now, the the amount of times that I've had clients come on uh, being dissatisfied, notwithstanding the fact that we've told them that there's no guarantee, um, are innumerable. And it is maybe something that uh, the law society and the, the estate agents need to have a look at because it, it does seem jolly unfair that if you note an interest in a property and your expectation is that you want to make an offer, but you want to keep your powder dry as far as an offer is concerned, um, that you're not given an opportunity of making that offer. What the estate agents will tell you is that, yes, they'll note an interest, um, and the only guarantee that you will get is that if you have an estate agent who is also a solicitor, if they tell you that there's going to be a closing date, uh, then they are under an obligation then to set that closing date at which point you will get an opportunity to make an offer for the property. But there are situations where you don't want to make an offer because you're maybe not in a position to make an offer or you want to, as I say, keep your powder dry with regards to how much you want to offer for the property because there's no point in uh, letting your offer out at an early stage because in all likelihood that will suddenly find itself out in the open market. I'll maybe do um, on another show how that actually happens um, 
it really shouldn't happen, but a lot of the times when a client makes an offer, uh, it suddenly is out there to all and sundry. Anyway, back to noting an interest. The common scenario is that a client will come to me and they want me to note an interest. I'll pick up the phone, speak to the estate agents, note their interest, and uh, that is perceived to be a marker in the sand. The, the difficulty, of course, comes with the fact that they're it's nothing stopping somebody coming in and notwithstanding the fact that there is a note of interest making an offer. The estate agents will tell you and, and the sellers will uh, will want to ensure that they get the best possible price. And normally the um, perceived wisdom is that if you go to a closing date, in all likelihood you're going to get a better price than if you did a one-to-one negotiation. We'll touch on that later on in the show when we talk about uh, negotiation. And that is the perceived wisdom. And I think if you spoke to um, a lot of estate agents, then they would also come up with that. But there are some points where you're maybe against, uh, as a purchaser, you're maybe against another purchaser who has lost out uh, on a closing date or properties, any number of properties, and they decide, you know what, I'm just going to put a crazy offer in. And they put a gun to the estate agent's head and say, unless you take this offer, then we're not going to offer the closing date. And then the seller is put in a position, notwithstanding the fact that they've got a note of interest and they may get more at a closing date, they then decide to take the the offer uh, because they may think that they're not going to get any more at a closing date and this particular purchaser is offering some security as far as that's concerned. So um, as solicitors and those of us who negotiate prices on behalf of clients, we always have to explain to them that if we do note an interest in a property, there is no guarantee that it will go to a closing date. Obviously, if it goes to a closing date, then you will have an opportunity of putting an offer in. But you need to be advising clients, certainly we do, that if you note an interest, that does not guarantee that the property will go to a closing date. It certainly saves a lot of angst if we explain that to clients. We then got to then advise clients as to the wisdom of actually putting an offer in I'm always a great believer of not putting in our highest offer as far as clients are concerned because you really need to leave some petrol in the tank as far as your price is concerned. No point in in going gung-ho and giving the estate agents your best offer first up. Uh, especially if the property is in a location where it's likely to go to a closing date, you're better keeping some of your powder dry so that you've got somewhere to go in the event that it does go to a closing date. What I try to do with the estate agents is, is try and get them and force them to say uh, that there will be a closing date, um, but it's it's very difficult uh, because ultimately the uh, the, the clients. Uh, or the estate agents rather, are going to be um, looking at their client's best interest. And, you know, there are some situations where it's not the client's best interest to go to a closing date. 
So that's hopefully busted the myth about noting interest. Um, a lot of the times, if you note an interest, it will go to a closing date because the estate agents know that they're likely to get a better offer, but there is no guarantee as far as that's concerned. For many years, and certainly since the advent of, of emails in my professional life, I'm talking back where I qualified in 1993 and uh, back then we were still using uh, a majority of the time we were sending letters out and email. I don't know whether or not email in fact had been invented um, but certainly I can remember back uh, having my first computer screen in front of me and being introduced to the advent of emails and uh, everybody in my office certainly thought well that's just a fad and uh, I guess new technology everybody was scared by it nowadays goodness gracious we get the young kids coming into the offices and uh, they've just been schooled on emails and uh, you, you ask them to post a letter and uh, they just look at you with a blank stare um, and emails uh, I'll probably do a show about as far as legals are concerned as to whether or not emails uh, have improved things as far as for clients are concerned, for solicitors, for estate agents. I'm not wholly convinced that emails have added a great deal to um, the the working environment as far as the uh, solicitor is concerned. Generally speaking, all it's now done is concertina what should take six weeks into to four weeks, um, but it certainly hasn't done anything to lessen the stress involved in buying and selling a property. So it was great for me to come across a book, uh, admittedly, at the maybe at the tail end of my career, um, some 20 odd years into it. And uh, the guy's name who wrote this is, and if you know anything about productivity and you're into your business books, you will have heard of this guy called David Allen. And uh, he has written a book called Getting Things Done. Um, my understanding is that this came out in the early 2000s. And he is in the process, having listened to various podcasts over the last couple of months, I understand that he is in the process of putting together another book. So watch that coming out on Amazon. I'm sure that his new book will be even better than his first book. So his first book really deals with email and trying to organize your email. Uh, I think for a lot of people, certainly for me back in the day, uh, I think I might have had, and I'll put my hand up here, you could have, you might have had 800, 900, maybe a thousand emails uh, that deep down you probably were never going to look at a majority of those and it probably took you two days to scroll down your inbox to get to the bottom of it. And that's just the way that uh, that I worked, um, hold my hands up, and I, I do think that that's maybe still a, a way a lot of people work. Uh, that they're what they're doing is that they're using their uh, inbox as a to-do list, and uh, that's really David Allen. That's one of the things that he just says that you are being suffocated by the amount of email, and and what that's going to lead to is procrastination and poor productivity. And if you can get a regime put together as far as how to deal with your email, then that will be a start to sorting out your email inbox. And what he really talks about are the four Ds. He says you need to, you do something, uh, you, you delegate the email, you defer the email, or you delete the email. It's a pretty say, 
safe um, concept. Um, and what he's saying is you do the email. So if you can do the piece of work, he says, if you do it in two minutes, then you should do it. If not, then uh, if you can delegate it, delegate it. If you can't delegate it, then defer it. And uh, if it is of no use to you whatsoever, then delete it. He's a big fan of just going through your whole inbox and doing a mind sweep almost and just being very forthright in deleting emails that you know deep down you're never going to reply to the time has passed for for you to reply to it or deep down you know it isn't of any use to you and so therefore you should just delete it he's a big thing he's a big fan of putting things in folders and really the concept is all about next actions and dividing tasks into next actions. He's a um, he's a big exponent of a system called the Tickler file. I won't explain that to you. I'll, I'll let you buy the book. Um, that's the the Tickler file. And he's also a, a, a big exponent of grouping tasks. One way he says that you can improve your productivity is by labelling emails um, into tasks and he does this by labelling them uh, for telephone, for email, for errands, for things you can do in the office, for things you need to be online for, things that you would read, things that you would review and there's on and on and on and there's a whole list of sort of subfolders and what he's saying is that if you can organize your email inbox so that you can batch things like telephone calls if you can batch things like errands um, things that you need to read and just allocate time to that particular task then what you do is you focus on that particular task and you will get things a lot more things done a lot quicker so I would wholly recommend the book. Um, I think it's probably about a tenner on Amazon and it's David Allen getting things done. It certainly has been an enormous help as far as my professional life is concerned. And along with that, I've used uh, an app called Wonderlist. Uh, it's a sort of task management. I know a lot of you out there will have task managements and case management systems but I like Wonderlist it certainly allows me to use the folder system um, espoused by David Allen and it really does work for me so that's getting things done by David Allen and the app is Wonderlist that's W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T Wonderlist give it a go and delighted to hear your feedback just to see how you've got on with that negotiating on behalf of a client I always like to explain to them the reasoning why uh, or the theories really behind what we're going to do I think if the client can follow you on the journey then um, it, it's a lot easier to explain to them before you start negotiating so they can understand why you're actually doing something there are two main things that you need to try and uh, do here when you're starting to negotiate on behalf of a client, a price on behalf of a client, you need to understand that nine times out of ten, doing a one-to-one -one negotiation and avoiding a closing date is absolutely vital. Uh, if you can get your client to start to negotiate with the seller, 
then you have got a better chance of dictating what the price is going to be. Uh, and the second thing, as I've just uh, said there, is to try as best as you can to avoid a closing date. The estate agents are very keen to pull you on to a closing date, mainly because they know that as a blind, blind bidding situation, nobody knows what anybody else is going to bid and what a lot of purchasers will do is that they will set their purchase price, as I explained in previous episodes, set their purchase price probably at the home report value. So if you've got a bidding situation where there are more than two people interested, then in all likelihood the property is going to go for in excess of the property value, which is great for the seller, but not so great for the poor old purchaser. Uh, and the third thing I would explain to my client is sometimes it's better not to make the first offer in a one-to-one -one negotiation, but try and get the seller to put their marker in the sand before you put your marker in the sand. I'll talk a wee bit later about markers in the sand and initial uh, initial offers and, and how we go about uh, doing that. Uh, as far as estate agents are concerned, I've never met uh, or spoken with an estate agent who's not bullish about the uh, likelihood of A, selling their property and B, getting a price in excess of what the property is valued at. Um, that's what they're paid to do and the best estate agents do that very well. Um, I have to say, from my own personal point of view, I take anything the estate agent says uh, with a, very much a, a pinch of salt. I'm, I'm long in the tooth, long enough in the tooth now um, to to know uh, what to, to listen to and what not to listen to. Um, going back to previous episodes, I, what I'm hoping that my client will do is, if we've got a one-to-one -one negotiation, that they'll have more than enough information to give me so that I can negotiate on their behalf. Uh, it is absolutely vital to try and get as much information as possible from your client in a negotiating process. And if you need to get some more information, what I tend to do is to speak to the estate agents. And one thing I have learnt is let the estate agents talk. Uh, they are not afraid of telling you all about the property and sometimes the best thing to do is to absolutely say nothing at all and force the estate agent to continue on. The amount of times that I've spoken with an estate agent and there's been a pregnant pause and you'll know yourself if you, you know anything about negotiating, there's nothing worse than the pregnant pause but you need to try and hold firm and not talk um, and let the estate agent do the talking. And, and there's many a time where the estate agent has maybe let slip something inadvertently that they possibly wouldn't done, wouldn't have done if, uh, if I had been gabbing along with them. So uh, it seems odd, but the silent treatment is something that uh, can work in the purchaser's favour. When we're making the initial offer, I've always got to have a view, especially if the property's only been on the market for a little while, you've always got to be recognisant of the fact that it could go to a closing date. And so what you don't want to do is put forward your best offer. And so I always tell my clients we're better to keep our powder dry initially so that if we do uh, make an offer and, and that offer somehow 
is leaked to all and sundry, then at least we're in a situation where we've got somewhere to go in the event that it does go to a closing date. There's nothing worse than in showing your hand, suddenly finding out that, uh, for example, the offer is offers over 120 grand with a home report value at, say, 130. We put an offer in at 132 and what happens then is that uh, potentially all and sundry know about the offer of 132,000 so it becomes not offers over 120 but offers over 132 and and the reason why that happens is that the estate agent uh, is duty bound to tell their client what the offer is and if you don't get a successful bidding process from that what potentially can happen is that any future viewers going to the property will ask the seller, how's uh, marketing going uh, to the seller? will then probably turn around and say, oh, it's going great. I know it's offers over 120, but we've already had an offer of 132. And so that's what tends to happen. Um, it, it's possibly the, the seller that leaks it out when they're asked by an alternative purchaser uh, how marketing is going. So I always keep uh, my powder dry uh, so that we have, as I say, got somewhere to go in the event that it goes to a closing date. I've mentioned earlier about lowballing it. Um, and what that means is that we go in with a low offer. Some clients of mine will ask, you know, how do we make up a number? How do we, what, what figure do we go at? Um, there are a number of theories here, but I don't think it really matters what figure you go at as long as it's as low as possible. What you're trying to do is put a low marker in the sand. The purchase, the seller rather, will come back with their marker in the sand, just as I know as a purchasing solicitor uh, and negotiator that our offer, our initial offer, is very unlikely to be accepted. I know that it's very unlikely that I'm going to accept the seller's first offer. So purchaser goes low as they can, seller goes as high as they can, and then the game begins and, and really is just a game of poker. Early on in the process, in the event that you are looking to buy a property that is just on the market, you're always a wee bit paranoid as a purchaser that somebody's going to come along and note an interest, in which case you'll lose the right to do a one-to-one negotiation and in all likelihood it will go to a closing date. So there is that little bit of paranoia that sets in. Um, I would say that uh, the seller has probably got, I would say about four weeks, maybe three, four weeks to try and force a closing date. And by this, what I mean is that very much the estate agents and the seller can probably set the price that they're wanting for the property in the first three weeks. Because what they'll say is that they've not tested the market and how do they know what the property is going to go for? And so what they will do is they will pluck a figure, not out of thin air, but they'll they'll give you a figure which they think is a figure that is achievable at a closing date uh, and ultimately they'll say you know for three four weeks we haven't tested the market fully and if you're wanting to play ball with us and have a dance with us then you'll need to come up and pay the price that we're looking for now that 
is all very well when the property's just on the market. But when you are looking at a property that's been on the market for more than four weeks, I think there's a legitimate argument that the purchaser can come up with to say, you know what, you've tested the market. And the market says, for whatever reason, nobody's interested in that property. It might be the location. It might be there's too many twos or threes in the home report. Whatever it is, the negotiation strategy certainly in my eyes shifts so that it becomes more of a purchaser's game rather than a seller's game and I think anything after four weeks where you're doing a one-to-one negotiation the paranoia of the buyer and the seller certainly switches and what then leads to a purchaser's paranoia that somebody's going to nip in there and note an interest and be you'll be forced on to a closing date then suddenly changes to the seller's paranoia because it's likely that the seller's already started to look for another property and they will be absolutely paranoid that if you've noted an interest or started to negotiate, they will be paranoid that you will walk away and find some other property that you want to buy. So, as I say, sellers probably got about four weeks to try and force a closing date. Um, and after four weeks, then I would say it becomes the buyer's market. Um, sometimes you've got to show your hand uh, if you want to try and get a quick deal done and very much that's done on the facts of the situation one offer that we negotiated recently was a situation where it was clear to me that the property that the seller was only looking for a particular amount uh, that wasn't it was unlikely that it was going to be in excess of the uh, home report, but it had just gone on to the market. Um, I took the view that we could go in at the home report and be pretty bullish and ballsy about the uh, the negotiation. And in that particular instance, it, it, uh, it worked. Uh, and that was mainly because of, of my knowledge of who the seller was and understanding why the seller was wanting to sell uh, the property at that particular price. And if you decide to instruct me and, and have a chat with me and want me to act on your behalf, that's the kind of knowledge that you're going to get when you instruct me to negotiate a price. There's a lot of information that I have gleaned over my 20 years that I can assist you in the buying process. So uh, as I say, please do give me a call if you want me to have a chat about a negotiation or indeed if you want me to act on your behalf. Finally what I would be saying is when I make that first offer in essence unless we are in a situation as I just previously said to you about thinking that the the seller was looking for a particular price when that's not the case then in all likelihood my first offer is going to be rejected I have to say, I feel that it's a poor negotiation for an estate agent to accept the first offer. Um, I remember book, uh, reading a book about 10, 15 years ago called Everything's Negotiable. I'll maybe have a chat about that. But that certainly has got some great information. It's an Edinburgh guy, I recall, went to one of his seminars. He did a seminar at the Royal Bank of Scotland back in the day. Everything's negotiable. And one of his big things was that, you know, you, you, the purchaser and the seller 
need to feel as if they've been a bit in a bit of a fight as far as a negotiation is concerned. There's nothing worse for both the purchaser and the seller for uh, the purchaser to put an offer in and, and the seller to, to meekly lie down and over and just accept the first offer. Um, my instinct is that the first offer is always going to be rejected just as the first offer from a, a seller it is always going to be rejected um, I think in some respects you feel as if you're being cheated out of a negotiation if the uh, estate agents aren't prepared to um, to, to man up and, uh, and have a bit of a negotiation fight with you so that's really everything I wanted to talk about uh, as far as negotiation is concerned the takeaways from this I guess are you're going to get a better deal on a one-to-one negotiation and for goodness sake try as best as you can to avoid a closing date. Okay that's us just about to wrap up another show Um, I hope you've enjoyed that show about negotiations Um, we've now reached 150 listens which is uh, I'm quite pleased about that I have to say still a long way to go as far as um, downloads and and people listening to the podcast but I guess you've got to start somewhere Um, I have got all of the well the feeds coming through a website called SoundCloud and I get all the stats so I know who's listening, uh, well, at least I know which cities are listening to us. So uh, it's quite interesting to see who is listening to this. Uh, you would have thought that it would be of, of only interest to, to those in Scotland, but um, I think we've had uh, listeners from America, from Australia, uh, from Holland. Uh, so that's, that's great to, to hear that, and hopefully everybody's enjoying the show. If you wanted to get in touch with me, then again, I'll give you my email address. You can contact me at jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk. That's the financial advisors that I am working with. You can get me on the Twitter, jwilliams underscore bb. We've got the website, of course, www.thebricksandmortarpodcast.co.uk. You can get a feed from the Uh, for the podcast from the website we're also on itunes please do subscribe it's great if you can uh, subscribe to the podcast and if you could also leave a comment that would be greatly appreciated and not forgetting finally the facebook Uh, we've got the bricks and mortar podcast group so please come along and join that delighted to have you on board As far as advertising the podcast is concerned, I've got the flyers now. So if you're in the West End of Glasgow, I'm going to be contacting a number of estate agents and solicitors to see if they would be kind enough to advertise the podcast and just see if we can grow it organically that way. I've had some nice cards made up. I must thank Alan Mason of Black Art Multimedia, who was very kind enough to do all of the artwork. And I'm pretty pleased with the flyers and also so the cards and that's pretty much it um i think I'll, yeah i was going to tell you a wee bit about the uh, the half marathon um half marathon 13.1 miles we were down at kintyre over the weekend it was the final may day holiday and i have to say i've not seen macrahanish and kintyre 
um, as good as it was looking. And we went down there on the Friday, got down there late on Friday, and we stayed there right up until Monday evening. And pretty much for the whole of the time, there was a, hardly a, 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 any wind at all. And there was very, very few clouds down there. The sun was certainly splitting the sky. Um, in many respects, I just wanted it to be pushing down with rain, given the fact that we're expected to put the property on the market. And it was actually quite difficult and, and certainly have had second, third, fourth and fifth thoughts um, about trying to keep the property down there. So um, we may be putting the, the sale of the property on the back burner. I'll just need to have a think about that. Uh, yeah, it was good meeting up with a, a couple of pals from university. They were down there running the uh, the half marathon. The marathon, half marathon itself, was a bit of a struggle. One forty two, I went and uh, round in some of the marathons on the beach, um, and I hadn't quite uh, well, I had forgotten actually how difficult that beach part of the mar- half marathon is. If you're into your running, then I would look that up. It's called the MOK, the Mull of Kintar MOK Half Marathon. Uh, it would be great to see you there next year. If you've got any interest in running, then it is one of the best half marathons I've ever run. Uh, it was a bit of a suffer fest, having said that. And uh, I started off uh, clocking sort of seven, seven thirty minute miles. And I came off the beach at about six or seven miles and then just detonated. Um, there was a road between the, the main drag past the airport, if you know Kintyre at all, uh, called the Moss Road and there wasn't a breath of air on the Moss Road. It must have been about 21, 22 degrees um, and there were many times uh, the Moss Road's probably about two, three mile uh, stretch before you head back into Campbelltown and uh, I tell you what, on that uh, Moss Road there were very many times where I thought uh, I'm just going to jack it in but uh, kept it going um it ended up clocking a few eight thirty minute miles i got it back down to an eight minute mile for the the last mile and uh, stumbled over the line in one hour 42 a lack of training probably put paid to anything close to a 130 uh, one, one hour 30 minute marathon but there's always next time uh, on the athletics front uh, Number one has got uh, Glasgow Schools coming up uh, on Monday and then she's off to Scottish Schools to, I think, compete in the Scottish Schools High Jump Championship. Um, She was down at training there last week, looking to jump quite well. I'm not too sure if she's up there on the medal rostrum, but it'll be good experience for her. Uh, Number two, well, the cast is off, as you all know, and she'll get back to her running. We've got uh, school sports day coming up, so there'll be no doubt uh, she'll feel under some pressure to perform there. So we'll see how she gets on with that. And then she's got her Glasgow schools coming up. So we're winding up the school year. It's been a long year for uh, for everybody. And uh, we're just coming up to now. It is the beginning of June. So another four weeks or so. And we can then start thinking about holidays. Uh, I'm going to get out now and go and deliver some of the flyers to some of the estate agents around the West End. Um, you've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast, a sideways look at buying property. <laughs>